What's your favorite Tarantino movie? I would say it's probably Pulp Fiction, not to be like such a generic like white boy. But also, I actually didn't see any of his movies until um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. So that was the first one I ever saw. Oh, really? Yeah, I was never like a big like film person prior to the last like five years or so. So that was like one of the first ones that came out since I started kind of getting more into watching kind of classics and modern classics. So I watched that one. And then in 2020 with the lockdown, I watched like so many movies that year (laughs) that I, that was the year I literally watched every single one of his movies, the year of movies and that like, I watched all the other releases. So that Pulp Fiction though, is the one that I've rewatched and like held up for me as just like such a, well-made piece of film obviously that's not like a original thought but the very first time i saw pop fiction i hated it i was i think 12 years old uh it was at a uh party with like some high school friends and or like middle school friends and they were like let's watch this one uh none of us understood it we just knew it was like a cool adult movie and all of us were like these christian school kids that were like (laughs) so offended that they would like misquote bible verses that we were all just completely ashamed to have watched that and then i did watch it again <laughs> when i was like 28 or something and it was like oh man this is good this is like a good it's genius movie. yeah yeah as like a story like yeah it has he obviously is quite a controversial figure in the industry but i feel like he's respected because he just puts it all out there like even if it's maybe questionable which i think he owns up to it but as a storytelling film it's just genius like the way it's woven together and that's why i enjoyed it It blew my mind the first time like very few movies have done that and like seven which is not a book to film adaptation but seven those movies distinctly i remember watching and being like how did they do this like how did they pull it off Mm. in the end because it just comes together so brilliantly but i really love inglorious bastards as well which i think is a i mean to me might be it's probably my second favorite i i mean i've always loved pop fiction uh, since I've rewatched mm-hmm. it, and I don't know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just does something like really special for me. I think it's just an absolutely incredible bit of storytelling and the music and the scenery, and it's mm-hmm. it's just L.A. It's like that's yes. that's what's so fun about that is I don't know, you just you just feel like the vibrancy of like the scenery, uh, which is also something this book does really well. So today we're talking about Cinema Speculation by Quentin Tarantino, the director of nine movies so far he's going to be releasing his 10th and final movie in the next couple years i think i think it's about a film critic in like the 1970s or something today i have with me max max you were my uh, college roommate (laughs) when we studied abroad in ireland but you've also been making book content for much much longer than me you were you were like an og booktuber is that right yeah there was people before me but i started making content on YouTube about books in like late 2013. So like the year after like following our semester abroad, I got really back into reading that semester. And the summer after that, I just dove into reading and then started. I don't even remember how I found BookTube because back then it, I don't think it had like a name because there was no like... It wasn't like an entity. Yeah, there were people, of course, like respectfully, like there were people making content about books on Instagram on YouTube, really, those, I mean, TikTok and whatever didn't even exist back then, but people were making content, but there was not a community like there is now. And now there's more than communities. There's sub-community. There's like so many (laughs) avenues, but 
yeah, back then there was, I think I probably just looked up like a book review on Google and one of the results was like a YouTube video of that review. I can't even remember what it was, honestly. It might've been like The Fault in Our Stars or something because this was 2013. So like back then, and John Green had obviously been a big presence on YouTube. So mm-hmm. there was more about his content, but I found it and then I started making videos for like, I made them for like five or six years and then I just got tired of making YouTube videos because people don't realize that it's like not easy. It's not just like, oh, you just sit there and talk to a camera. It's like a whole one man show. Like you have to do everything oh, yeah. unless you have like people, which you have to be pretty successful to like have a team. So just as someone not doing it for any sort of profit, I stuck to the Instagram because that was just so much more like immediate. And then TikTok, you finally convinced me to to join. So we've influenced each other, but yeah. So almost 10 years by the end of this year, which is insane to think of like 20 year old versus 30 year old me. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. When we were in Ireland together at the end of it, they gave these like awards. They were kind of like the. um... Oh, the superlatives. Yeah, the superlatives. They kind of gave superlatives when we were uh, concluding our time in Ireland. And I remember both mine and yours were uh, book related. I don't even remember this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So they gave out something. like little kind of trinkets things to like, you know, say kind of what their time with us was like. And for That's you, hilarious. it was, I think you read the most books while we were in Ireland, if that was the thing. And then for me, I, um, I it was something about. Destroyed the most books? Ripped the <laughs> no, most no, books in I, half. I don't think I destroyed that many books. <laughs> I think, I, I think it was something like I talked about the most books because it was, it was huh. basically. You know, I would go to the library with Ethan and just like consume history books. And um, <laughs> I don't think people were that impressed with my Irish history knowledge just because it was too much and all of the time. So uh, it was a little bit of a problem. I don't even remember that, but I believe it. I just don't. Yeah, <laughs> I have a horrible memory. Clearly, I did journal every single day. This isn't such a tangent, but I did journal every <laughs> single day of that, but mostly just like like events we did, like where we went places. We, I was like, I don't want to forget this. Not like how I was feeling or like anything like deep. It was just like, I literally recorded like, so I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I, I haven't looked at it in years, but that's funny. I really wish I would have. Cause I, now I just have these like flashes of memory from the time in Ireland. Cause it's a decade ago. And I remember like a hotel, but I don't remember where it was. I don't remember when it was, you know, it's just like, Oh, I just remember sneaking off to drink by myself while all y'all, were you know obeying the rules and i was yeah i was absolutely not <laughs> all of the time just leaving yeah. to go smoke cigarettes and drink and uh both both That's very funny. much against the rules for our christian college uh study abroad experience in ireland yeah we had an absolutely no drinking policy which <sighs> everyone obeyed except for almost every single person I'm pleading the fifth on yeah, that yeah. one. Sure, sure. That's fine. That's fine. I don't think you can still get in trouble. I don't think they're going to take away our no, grades. From no, no, no. That semester. But um, I asked you to come on the podcast to talk about a nonfiction book, which I know was asking quite a bit. You are kind of fully. I mean, you've been doing this for 10 years. You are fully invested in probably just literary fiction would be the genre that you. I don't know. I feel like I I read quite a a range. I Mm -hmm. will say that I would say I lean more towards fiction contemporary modern adult fiction but i i really when i look at my monthly like what i read in a month it's like all over the place like i'm not discriminating it's anything but i will say i your book selection as much as we get along and we have (laughs) discussions about things we don't very often overlap in what we read 
And I don't even recognize most of the books that you read. Like, I don't even recognize it. You have largely influenced my buying pattern with fiction, though, because I'll see you like give a glowing review to a book. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm adding that to my list and knowing like I will probably never read this book that I buy. But like you do inspire me to pick up so many books. And I have devoted the month of October. I'm going to finally read the one that you have been asking me to read for several years. It's some the wind, the whisper, the the. Oh, the shadow of the wind. The shadow of the wind. Yes. Oh, that that'll one. be perfect in the fall. That'll be great. I need. That's, I need you to. That's what make you told more... me two falls ago, and I, I know. you know, I'm still working on it. So, I would read more. I was going to say you are so kind to me. Like, oh, you've influenced me to pick up so many books, or like at least purchase them. I'm like, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I don't even like pick up the books that you recommend <laughs> on your channel because they're just like over my head. But no, no. I feel like if you tailored this was a good pick in theory because. It was like a a crossover of things that I enjoy. And I think I had actually considered picking it up before you had asked if I wanted to read it. Um, Can't say that I had the best experience with it. That's not your fault. I think that it's more to do with the audience for this particular book. Sure. Just because the author's name is somebody that is recognizable does, you know, it's a lesson learned that it's like, uh, I think the book's pitch is not quite what it, or maybe it is, but I was like, maybe miss expecting more out of it from my own perspective. So I wouldn't judge the book, but it was a good choice in terms of interests and alignments between books and film. Well, I figured even if the book wasn't a wild success for us in terms of conversation, which listeners, you will find out soon enough that uh, we do not have a ton to say on this book, but we will we will fill the hour with a lot of uh, things that we are very, very passionate about. But yeah, the book is, is tough to I, I really loved it, honestly. Um, it's one of those okay. books that I really can't recommend very widely just because it's incredibly niche. And I think even if you do have like a understanding of 1970s cinema, like I think it's still too it's still too niche other than the fact that yeah. for me, as someone just like fully invested in a hobby, like in a kind of career field with books, I get so much like joyful glee out of listening to Tarantino talk about movies with such like a firm understanding of the topic. And it's kind of a little, I don't know, subgenre of thing where it's just like someone is obviously the expert at this. And this isn't a history book where they're telling you a story. This is just him being like, hey, here's how I'm a fan. And then just like, here's 25 essays about fandom, about like an understanding to the art form that none of us really possess. And I think it's really cool to read that. It's cool to get some insights and it's it's, you know, some of like the the histories that he gives is they can be interesting. But like I said, I just don't have a huge basis for it. But reading him yeah. just like be a fan for, I don't know, my four hour reading experience was genuinely like very enjoyable, even if I didn't fully like connect all the dots of the story. But I'm curious, like, what's your kind of general review of this one? Yeah, this is one of the books that and that this doesn't happen a lot, but I didn't give it any sort of rating because I just mm-hmm. don't know how to properly and fairly rate it because I probably would have stopped reading it if it wasn't for the podcast, not because it's a bad book, but because I pretty I knew pretty early on like the way it was going and the way the essays were structured that I was just not invested because it's like somebody, like you mentioned, someone really passionate, someone very knowledgeable, talking about a subject that you know very little about or tangential to a topic where you're like, oh, I know about films. I know about older classic films. (laughs) I don't know about these really specific ones that maybe were big in their day or maybe they weren't. And he admits that. Like he admits like people probably haven't seen this movie, but I'm going to spend 20 pages talking about it. And I'm like, 
if he tied it back to, and this is where I'm like, I veer off into, I'm not criticizing the book any longer because it's not what he wanted to do. Whatever he wanted to do, he did it successfully. I just, not what I wanted. Yeah. I would have loved and enjoyed it more if it was like, here's my thought on this film and how it impacted me in my youth growing up. Because the films he talks about are almost all in the 1970s when he was like anywhere between 10 and 20 years old. So like clearly films that impacted him that he had to drive around LA to see like at, you know, creepy, like (laughs) questionable movie theaters. Like I liked the parts when he talked about his experiences of these things. And then he would like go off on pages about like things that I'm like, I can almost guarantee like, 0.0001% 0.0001% of the population cares about this. And well, like, you would get I'm into not... like the, the script writing of a certain scene and you were like, oh, yeah, I don't know anymore. I'm, I'm lost. But when he talks about kind of the, like his exploration of film, that was so exciting because yes. you're seeing a, like a teenage boy and we were both that teenage boy, probably like watching movies that we maybe weren't supposed to, but trying to consume, I was definitely mm-hmm. the one trying to just consume as many movies as possible during the summer times, especially when I was like in middle school or whatever, I would go to the VHS or DVD rental store and just like a stack. <laughs> I'd get a stack every single time and just like go through them. And that was just kind of how I like to spend my time. I wanted to consume as many movies as possible. So I really like I got a lot of joy out of reading him talk about, you know, this was before the era of, you know, DVDs. And it was just he was just at the movie theater uh, with grown adults, yeah. which is just like a, not a very relatable thing to me, but also a really cool thing that I, c- I could like imagine or envision growing yes. up that way as kind of like yeah. idyllic in some sense. The way he described like his own experiences of it were super cool. And like whenever he'd interject more of a personal anecdote rather than like a historical analysis or not even analysis, sometimes he just spent literal pages like recapping what happened in the movie. <laughs> right, and I was right. like, okay. I get you need to do this to set it up, but maybe if you have to do that to give the reader enough context, like maybe you know your audience isn't, like most people aren't going to care about this. But when he would jump in and be like talking about his experience, like with his mom's boyfriend taking him to movies that were like not for his age or like having to watch like literally like double or triple feature of these like two and a half hour movies. Like I'm like, what, how do you do? How are you a kid driving around L- or getting around LA on buses through until like two in the morning to watch these movies? I really enjoyed that. Cause I can imagine like a really, he's like a, quite a character in real life. I don't know if you've seen interviews yeah. oh, with him, yeah. but like I can imagine like a 14 year old version of him, like just enthused about these things. But then he'd go on tangents and like talk about what if a different director had done this movie? And I'm like, no one, I promise you, no one else has <laughs> ever thought this. Like if, Brian De Palma had made Taxi Driver instead of Martin Scorsese. I'm like, yeah. that's a great thought experiment. Maybe leave it in your your head because I don't think most people, you know, not to be super critical, but like, I'm like, it's just, what is your perspective on this rather than just things you've thought about? I would have loved more of a connection to like how it impacted his filmmaking. Times where like a scene in this movie clearly correlates to like an impact on one of his own stories because he's such a storyteller and his films, I mean... As far as I'm aware, he's either involved with adapting or writing most of his movies as well as directing them. So it's like he clearly has a vision and I would love to know more about how it connected from like his childhood to that. Because I listened to the audiobook and I was like, oh my gosh, he narrates it. No, he narrates the first chapter and the yeah. last chapter. And then like 90% of the book is narrated by somebody else. So mm. that to me and the first and last chapters are way more personal. They're like memoir. Yeah. The other chapters in between are literally like about specific films. And I was like, it even shows like, I feel like this book could have been two different books. And I would have rather read the first part where it's like mm. his memoir through film. 
or something like that. We would have died for that. Yeah, that would have been a huge, massive success. But that's not what this book is. But it felt like that at the beginning. Like the first chapter, I was like, this is great. He's reading it. And then the narrator switched and the tone of the book shifted. And I was like, oh, now I get like 10 hours of like essays about most honestly. And I feel like I'm decently literate, at least at least to know who these people are or like have heard of them. A lot of these movies, I'm like, I've never even heard of these movies, (laughs) which I'm not saying I'm by any means an expert, but like it's the idea of like if I read Margaret Atwood wrote a memoir and, but instead it was actually just essays about a bunch of books she read like and loved. I feel like I'm literate enough in that space to like be like, yeah, maybe I haven't read some of these people, but I've heard about them. And I understand what, when you talk about them, what the context of it is. But I felt like that's why I can't judge this book. Cause I'm like, if I had the like, if I had the knowledge of this space enough to be like, okay, I don't know the specifics, but I get what you're trying to put at the point you're trying to make with this. I just, I didn't have that. And that's why it's more on me. But I do think like, you have to know who your audience is when your name is Quentin Tarantino and you're publishing a book about movies, people are going to pick it up blindly. And like, they may be um, bummed at the end of that experience, which is, you know, it's on the consumer too, to figure out what the book is about. But at the same time, the book starts very like memoirish and i was like cool this is great yeah i was checking the goodreads and and pretty much almost all the goodreads that i read through was exactly the reviews that were giving it was just it gets too niche but obviously the interplay of the memoir portions of it are just like really brilliant i mean he is such a talented writer it's also funny because you talk about his tone but his tone both with like how he does in interviews but also the tones of his movies of these constant like interplays of of style and rants and mm-hmm. like really weird offshoots of plot and stuff are all things that this book kind of contains. So you can kind of see this mm-hmm. genius writer at the, like the forefront of this book while also being like, yeah, I don't, I don't like totally get it, which is often kind of how I feel of like certain movie genres too, of like movies that are heavily homages to other things. I'm like, I might not totally get what the vision here is, but I absolutely I can understand the themes and that was kind of how I felt with this book was like, yeah, I, I can generally understand it. It's not too smart for me. It's just, it knows too many things that I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. Like it never was it, at a point where I was like, I don't even understand what he's talking about. It was like, I just don't have reference points to what he's talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And I also didn't always feel that maybe within an individual essay, I was like, I can see what your thesis is here. I don't personally find it interesting or yeah. like that compelling, but as a collective, I don't see like the overall thrust of this book. Like it feels very repetitive. The, the middle section where it's just like 20 essays about different, each one is named after a different movie. Like they all started to bleed into each other. Yeah, when you're did. like, these are all movies by like older dead or alive white men that are like probably pretty, questionable which you know they have their place in history but i did feel like it lacked a lot of like interest and diversity but he had glimmers where he had experience seeing movies or having a perspective on like black exploitation films or things like female actors like directors and actors and writers and editors that i'm like i would have liked his like recommendations more than just reflections on like movies that at the time were important to him something i always try to think about when it comes to nonfiction, just because i'm i'm working on my own piece of nonfiction, but as how the writer went through writing this book and at like what point did the editors step in to correct it or to give it a new direction or whatever. And Tarantino being who he is, mm-hmm. I, I probably believe that this book, he got final say over it. Like, I think he, he made this book, his own passion project of his own, like he, what the book that he wanted to write is the book that he wrote. 
And that's just probably what went to the publisher and that's what went through the process was I don't think he gave a whole lot of care towards who his audience was for this one. I don't think he gave a lot of care for trying to make it a popular book. Like, I don't think he was going for the next big film criticism book. I think he was just like, hey, I'm a I'm a director that has kind of his whole thing that he's known for is he's constantly referencing every single thing you've never seen. And then so he's like, yeah, I'm just going to write a book that's constantly referencing everything you've never seen. And that's just what that's what the book is. And I think it's yep. really cool. I think it's a, a great kind of work of art, but it's an art form that it's just kind of hard to get into. I mean, I, I feel the same way when I go look at like actual physical art museums and stuff. And it's like mm. I can respect the beauty of this. I can respect like there is a craft here that I do not understand how it is made, but ultimately I'm just looking at it as like the most blanket version of like, yeah, this is cool. Like this is dope to look at this. And like, that's my big understanding. I don't understand like the whole historical movements of art forms or a piece that exactly how it relates to larger culture. I'm like, yeah, I just, I like looking at this and that's what this book is for me at least. So yeah, I agree. But we are going to get into movies and movies and books, adaptations. Uh, we're going to just kind of spend the rest of this podcast talking broadly about movies because we're both, as much as we are book fans, we are also huge movie fans. I don't know if you know this about me, is my my like real internet start was I ran a movie blog when I was, I think, as a freshman in high school or sophomore in high school that had 2,000 followers. And, you know, this is back in, like, 2009. Oh, yeah, uh, I had yeah. a movie blog. And then I wrote I wrote <laughs> movie reviews for my college newspaper. So before I ever got into book criticism or book influencing or whatever, I was, I was the movie guy. And that's a, a really comfortable space that uh, I have not needed to show too often on TikTok other than when... I just don't feel like making book content. And then you'll see me making, like, wild movie lists of things. But... Max, you're kind of the same. I mean, you consume a ton of movies and TV and... Um, mm -hmm. Yes. I just love stories. And I feel like, yeah. yeah, that books, movies, and television, especially in the last 10 years, like a really good time of television, films, you know, are quest you know, there's hit or miss, but there's just so much to consume, which is overwhelming. Same with books. But <laughs> right. yeah, I just love storytelling, I think, in general, and have just, especially the last couple of years with more time at home and everything had more of a chance to kind of like figure out what I enjoy or experiment and like find films from other countries or genres that I hadn't branched out to. I mean, I definitely Tarantino, like growing up, I would never have watched his films. It just wasn't on my radar. I didn't really have like a big exposure to the wider world of film besides like kids movies, honestly, growing up. And then I feel like I went through a lull in high school where I didn't really consume a lot. And then into college, like that's where you start, obviously, when you start to discover who you are too. And like you, you just have access to more stuff and going to a more of like a liberal arts college that had a lot of discussions around film and, and access to like people to talk about it with. Yeah. And then with COVID, I swear like 2020, <laughs> I watched, I think I watched a movie like every single day that year almost. Yeah, that's always been a that's been something I wanted to bring back. It's a thing that I made like a, a you know New Year's resolution of like I think my junior year of high school was watch a movie every single day, and I kept up with it. And I really wish I could get back to it. And probably at some point I will make it like a a real goal of mine is just to watch a movie every single day because one I have the time, but also <laughs> I, like I, there's always been this question posed of like if you could never uh, like if you could if you had to 
never read a book or never watch a movie again, which would it be? And weirdly enough, I know I'm like the book person. I would choose to never read a book again if that was, if that, that, you know, some weird alternate reality where that's the choice. Like I would go with movies and TV simply because it's always been my comfort medium. Like books have always been super helpful to me and I love books, but I'm so often with my health, like more capable of enjoying and processing Mm -hmm. a movie or a TV show where I'm not as consistent a book reader. Like I read a ton, but I can't read every single day of my life. And pretty much no matter what, I I got the brain space to throw on a movie and enjoy it. So yeah, I don't know what, what would you, if you had to choose book or movie, (sighs) that is, you know, which that's harder than when people are like, what's your favorite book or who, like, yeah, yeah, who's yeah. your favorite author? That is really to hard for me because they're just such different. Yeah. They're just such different experiences. I love, like, there's nothing like going to see a movie with like a big group of people. Mm-hmm. And like, you just can't do that with reading. I love reading too. And I'm like yeah. you, I'm the, my online persona is bo- mostly book related, but I don't know. I don't, I like TV and I do watch TV, yeah. but I don't, I, especially in the last couple of years, would rather watch a movie than start a TV show. It's mm-hmm. way harder for me to start a TV show than to watch a movie. And I think that's because I love completion. And I feel like there's something so satisfying about watching a film in like one sitting versus a show needs to be really good to get me to keep watching it or be consistent with it. But again, that's something I can do with my fiance, like watching a show that keeps me accountable, watching shows on my own. I'm really hit or miss with. So I feel like I yeah. would probably still stick with books because I do that alone and I'm, mm. I have more time by myself and, or just, it's easier to go do something on your own than to like rely on a group of people to do, to do something. So I feel like I couldn't give up books or like audiobooks. I would be really sad to miss, to give up <laughs> movies. Cause I think I'm more likely to return to, like you said, for comfort, like a film than a book. So I yeah. love watching movies. I rewatch movies a lot and I love rewatching movies. I'm not I do like to reread books, but I'm less likely to reread a book than I am to rewatch a movie again, because of the time commitment and the sense of completion. Like I can rewatch a movie in 90 minutes or so. And like when I love that brings me so much joy, I will reread books. I really love, but not as often. So it's a really hard question. I don't tend to reread books that often. I read, I reread a few every single year, you know, out of like the hundred, what 50 books, about three or four of them are typically rereads. Movies, I like watching movies. Um, I like even being routine where I watch like the same movie every single year, year after year. Yeah. TV shows, not at all. Especially if something is longer than like a couple seasons, there's no way I will probably ever even rewatch a show. If it hits a sweet spot for me where it's just something I love, it, it maybe be every like five or six years I might rewatch yep. it. But the people that like rewatch The Office day in, day out, I like I could never, I want to consume more new things and I want to consume short form stuff because i i I can't you know anything past about six seasons for me about zero percent chance i'm starting it because i just i oh yeah i agree too much i am curious what your favorite like preferred form of watching something is uh between like a tv show a limited series or a movie in general or for book like adaptations just uh, just in general i think in general i just love movies i think I would pick movies over miniseries or TV shows. Like if I had to choose one format to watch stuff in, I would just pick movies every day, like every yeah. day for book to movie adaptation or book adaptations. I guess I really do think a limited series is like really the sweet spot. Yeah. Unless I guess there's a chance to like spin off into a series like Handmaid's Tale has done a really good job at that. Mm. 
I think the season one is a great adaptation of the book, but they've actually really mastered like building out because there's potential in that world. When you have oh, yeah. the potential, other shows try to do it and, you know, I don't think they need to. Like Big Little Lies did a second season, totally unnecessary. And it wasn't, it was great as a, you know, a limited series right. season one. But um, I, for not just regular consumption, I love movies. I would prefer that over anything else. I think for me, uh, the limited series has quickly become just like the, the starlight of the watching uh, experience. And I think it's, uh, we just don't have enough of them. I, I, I <laughs> genuinely wish, I, I think especially, especially Netflix, who at this point, I think we're both kind of in agreement, has kind of just fallen off as a streaming yeah. service. If Netflix would just give some of its money to just one-off shows, I think it like could really do something good for the the streaming service. Yeah, they already have a bad habit of canceling most things after one, <laughs> right, exactly. maybe two. Honestly, they cancel like majority of shows now after one or two seasons unless they're like wildly successful. So they yeah. should just invest that into what like Hulu and Disney Plus and HBO have like right. really mastered, which is the limited series adaptations, like six to eight episodes, six hours, eight hours of like really good adaptation where there's the source material to like really uphold that. When it comes to watching something, do you often gravitate towards adaptations or do you not? Is it not like super important to you? You just you just want to watch something. I the only way I would gravitate towards an adaptation is if either I've read the thing and was excited about seeing how they did it or it had been on my radar for, you know, hearing about it. Sometimes I've picked up things not real or like gone to see things, not really knowing that they're adaptations. Oh, yeah. But I at this point would rather people just invest in like really good original storytelling. If they're going to adapt it, I want them to take it like as an adaptation, not a page by page, you know, recreation. I want them to like adapt it into its own thing, or at least like recognize that the medium is different. So I'm not like, Oh, I want everything I love to get adapted. In fact, things I really love, like I would rather just leave them alone than to be disappointed and like have bad imagery in my head now attached <laughs> to that thing I love. So I prefer original content if it's good. Obviously, it, and anything I watch, I wanted to just feel like genuine and fresh, even if it's, you know, an adaptation of something. I'm not someone who's like, it has to be a, like, exact. If it honors the core of the, the thing that it's adapting, mm. I think that's more important. I saw Station Eleven on your list, and I think that's a perfect example where they did yeah. a vast amount of changes to the source mm -hmm. material, but everything they did felt like it was in service of the, the heart of the story. And if you're able to like let go that it's not a direct, I mean, it's fairly like accurate in terms of the gist, the gist of it, but they changed a significant amount, but it feels like it stands on its own as a show just as much as the book stands on its own as a story. So, yeah. No, Station Eleven is kind of the perfect example of when I want a adaptation, I'm not strict about like, oh, the hair color of this character. I don't care. I don't I don't care yeah. how you bend the stories in order to fit the new medium. Like, I, I don't care at all as long as the the movie or the TV show or the limited series is good. That's really all I care about. Like, if you're getting the broad topics of the story or the the tone of the story correct, like, that's good for me. But... Honestly, I just want a compelling story that's retold. And and for me, I don't have any strict, like, I don't have to read something before I watch it or I don't always go back and, and read it afterwards. Like, I, I like when it comes to movies and TV, I just want to consume it when I want to consume it. And oftentimes I like to be in the, like, the, 
I don't know, the trending era of a TV show. So if a TV show is brand new, I'm going to jump on it immediately. I don't typically give it a whole lot of, Mm. you know, I don't wait for people to like give it a huge endorsement. Like if I'm interested, I'm just going to like start it up and write it out from there because to me, I don't one, I don't read a lot of fiction and most things that are adapted are fiction. So I just don't have that much consideration towards uh, the, the, you know, which do you do first just because it's not not super important to me but the station 11 is like that great example of they just did a really incredible job like the show is absolutely phenomenal it's it's probably one of my favorite limited series that's ever come out and it it kind of it's in comparison to what i've thought about um looking for alaska which i know you never finish but looking for alaska is like the most what i would say like is accurate most accurate adaptations i've ever seen like it gets almost every single point like exactly Mm. correct but ultimately it's just a good it's a good show like it's a good show it has good soundtrack good pacing good characters and like to me that was more important than like the accuracy of adapting john green's like i don't don't care who the author is and this happens all the time with stephen king like the complaint is that stephen king movies are so good where his books fall flat a little bit with the endings um and so there's a lot of hard times with adapting those or I guess it's not hard because you just you make the changes and then the movie is just a wild success. I don't know. Is there Stephen King stuff that sticks out to you from books you've read versus comparing to the to yeah. the, the shows? Yeah, two that come to mind. It's funny that you mentioned that because one of the my favorite adaptations, and this is probably going to be a controversial opinion, based on Letterboxd, one of my favorite movies, hands down, of all time, just probably top 10, top 20 of my favorite movies is the 2019 adaptation of Dr. Sleep. I absolutely love it. It's so good. Or what? It's the sequel to The Shining if people never saw or read the book. And it follows Danny, who's... And and this is just to say, again, another controversial opinion. I don't really like The Shining book or movie that much. Like, I think it's Mm. fine. They're just not like... To me, I don't think that movie is like revolutionary i know that's i'm not coming from a film i don't have a background in film i'm just saying from someone who's watched it a couple times trying to be like why is this one of those movies that people say is the best of like thanks for coming on the podcast we're gonna just end it here this is a bad take no no go on go on dr sleep it's not that i think it's bad i just and also to be fair stephen king did not like the shining adaptation either so i feel like if the author of the book and the book's good it's not my favorite of his books it's not amazing to me either though like i think the story of Dr. Sleep is just inherently more interesting because it's dealing with the trauma that happens in The Shining. So you can't obviously have Dr. Sleep without Shining. So I recognize that it's beholden to it, but I find the story and how Mike Flanagan adapted that story into the film, along with so many elements of what had to work for that movie for me to work so well, like it does, is just like incredible acting, the like score and the feel it homage like pays homage to the shining film which yeah. and they even directly recreates moments from it <laughs> exactly and i don't know which it just is not recreated so well. in the book like that's that's not mm-hmm. a point in the book which i think was a brilliant thing to adapt and it's not i don't think it's necessarily just because oh it'll make more money if you can show the overlook hotel it's like no like no it narratively makes sense for this to be like part of this story yes. which i thought was a brilliant change much like you, and I that, really enjoyed the book. I don't like it as much as The Shining. I did enjoy the book, but the <laughs> the movie was really special. And I don't, I, 
I have a hard time really understanding the hate that it gets. Uh, just I don't get I it either. Think it's baseless, honestly. I, I especially because it. Mike Flanagan is so loved. As speaking of adaptations of like yeah, things into miniseries into or limited series, like he is so beloved in the last few years for the Haunting of Hill House, which I think is still the best one he's done. Um, yeah. Haunting of Bly Manor was okay. I'm trying to think of other things. He's done Gerald's Game. He's done other Stephen King adaptations that have been pretty good too. But I feel like Doctor Sleep. And that's a good example of a book to movie adaptation that changes some things, especially the ending, but that the ending of the film and the ending of the book, like in their soul, they're very similar. They Mm -hmm. just have different outcomes. And I feel like the movie, I like them both, but just for different reasons. Like I don't prefer one over the other in terms of what they do with the material. I just think like, I actually read Dr. Sleep after I saw the movie. I was, I went to see the movie knowing it was a sequel to The Shining, not being that attached to The Shining, but being like, oh, this looks like a cool, scary movie <laughs> with like a good cast. Yeah. And loved it so much that I actually went and like immediately read the book and loved it too. Like, I actually think the book is like, I just like the story of Danny as an adult dealing with his trauma and the way that it unpacks that I find really fascinating and really compelling and like moving. Um, and him mentoring someone else. Like, I just think it's such so complex and interesting but I don't get why people hate it. And I think he's such a good director. I mean, yeah, he has hits and misses like anyone else, but he just has, like Stephen King, such a strong heart to his stories, even when they're dark and twisted and messed up. Like, there's so much heart to him. And I think that's why that that particular adaptation, like, works for me so well. And also, Rebe- Rebecca Ferguson is just, like, one of the best Phenomenal. villains. Such yes. a good... And that was the first time I'd ever seen her in anything. I was like, this is incredible. She is so good as the villain in that. And just the conclusion of it. I don't know. I love it so much. I don't get why. I think that's why it's an unpopular opinion because it generally just has kind of like a mediocre like yeah, rating. It and I it's shocked me because I watched it and the first time I was like, this is going to be a new favorite. And I've rewatched it a couple times since then and it held, it's held up every time. I have, yeah. I've rewatched it twice since I saw it in theaters and uh, yeah, just always excited. And like, I know the story beats now. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know how it develops and stuff. Still, doesn't take anything away from it it's just a fun movie that Mm -hmm. i think it's completely blown out of proportion because i i think there's just a mythic nature surrounding the shining now that it's just like too big of a thing i know there's been talks of it being adapted for a tv show which as we're talking there are also things that i don't really want adapted like we got the shining movie which i think is it's one of my top 10 films of all time (laughs) i love the book honestly and the changes that are made from the book to the movie don't bother me. I, it doesn't matter because I think they both are complete in like their storytelling. I also think we might be somewhat on the same page of maybe just stop adapting things that have already been adapted. Like we want to see new stories. Yeah. We want to see new adaptations that have never been done before. I know there's been the talk of JK Rowling's you new, new Harry Potter like whole thing, which I think we both will take a very hard stance against but also the twilight series coming back um or or coming back in a new form or whatever it's just like i don't care anymore i think the same thing's true with the uh hunger games of just like these constant Mm. continuations of stories you can just go on book talk for 10 minutes or or bookstagram or booktube whatever you can get on any of these platforms and spend 10 minutes there and you're going to find 150 stories that have never ever been touched that really deserve like uh-huh. their own spotlight and we don't do it because of just ip which is a extremely frustrating thing yeah i feel like the thing missing is if people are going to adapt it there needs to be a reason 
And the reason can't just be because it's successful and it's going to make me money. Yeah, it was. We did this 10 years ago. It's like, great. It's the same thing when they've talked about Lord of the Rings remakes. It's like, no, you 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 created the greatest trilogy ever in my mind. Like the films that are just wholly complete as themselves. You know, if they went actually back and they were going to say, like, we're going to redo The Hobbit, I'd probably endorse it because The Hobbit (laughs) just had so many faults. In yeah. its storytelling and the way that it crafted the narrative, but also the tone of the things were so obsessed with like the Lord of the Rings that they they darkened the story from what the Hobbit is. It's just like a kind of fun children's story. And if they said they were going to go back and remake those, yeah, I'd be all game for that because I think there's something to add to that. But I think the Lord of the Rings is a unique case where there is millennia of lore to co-explore. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you've did you watch the Rings of Power series? I feel like yeah, Amazon released its thing that like eighty percent of viewers never finished like the full season or something. Oh. It was it was a wild amount. Um, but did, what did you think of Rings of Power? My relation to Lord of the Rings, as someone who is Persona Online is book related, I have to confess I've never read the Lord of the Rings <laughs> books, and I've maybe read fifty percent of The Hobbit. Wow. So I'm not coming from the perspective of a book lover, like a book lover for those adaptations, but I did grow up watching those movies and love them and never saw the Hobbit movies, maybe saw the first one on an airplane and was like, oh, I no, don't really need need to see the rest of these. So I love the original trilogy films. Agreed. One of the best, like just hands out one of the best things that's been ever made. But we watched the rings of power when it came out and we watched the whole thing as it yeah. came out like week to week. I liked it. I don't really get what the point is, but I'm also again, coming from a perspective of somebody who doesn't know anything about the rest of the world because all I, my only like knowledge base is the original trilogy films. So like, yeah. I liked it because the budget was so high that like, of course it was fun to watch. Right. I didn't feel like till the last episode or two that I understood what was happening like with the story in yeah. terms of where they're going with it. Now, I'll, I'll definitely continue it. I'm also not a super fanboy that is going to get on Reddit and like complain about every change they made or how it doesn't fit into the historical accuracy. So I'm coming from like an ignorant perspective where I'm just like, I'm watching this because it's a TV show that looks cool and has an actress I really like as the main character. And like, that's about it. <laughs> Speaking of the big budget ones, I know you saw the movie Dune. I don't know if you've seen like yes. the, the first, uh, the first no. foray of the Dune movie, uh, which I... Watched in middle school, and I only have just, like, the broadest memories of. But the new Dune movie, I think we both probably really enjoyed for what it is. I didn't hate it. I felt very very neutral and mostly saw it for the director and cast. I have not read the book. I don't have any desire to. That's Mm -hmm. just not my, if you know my reading taste, it's, like, not really my wheelhouse. I'm fine with that. I, I will see the second one for sure. I actually think I'll like the second one more because of the way that the first one ended. And I think if I rewatched the first... Mm-hmm. first is in the 2021 or whatever release not the i've never seen the original i don't care enough to go back but i just found it kind of slow but i love everyone in it and i know that's the point and i just think as someone who doesn't know where it's going it wasn't like if i watched both parts that are coming out together maybe i'll i'd enjoy it more like as a five to six episode miniseries like we talked about because i think you could create more thrust in each episode than like a three almost three hour film into or two different probably three hour films but i don't have super strong i don't have negative feelings towards it i just don't really like have super strong feelings considering how much i love that director and almost every single person in that cast is incredible i was 
kind of underwhelmed by the it. The director is mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve has directed one of my favorite Arrival. adaptations of all time, which is oh. Arrival. I have an Arrival so tattoo, which I have also read the story. No, I haven't. I don't, have I, you read that the is one story? of my. That's got to be in my top twenty films. Also, it's incredible. Yeah, you would love the short story collection. It's it's really phenomenal. Which to build out a short story into a movie, I love that concept. I love I love taking things and just like exploring them more. One of the things about the movie versus the short story is they basically ask completely different hmm. ethical questions, which leaves me to love both of those mediums because when I read it, I'm asking myself and thinking through something. And then when I watch it, it's a completely it's it's very related. It takes the same story beats, but it asks a different question. And to me, that's like the true power of what an adaptation can be is like it can expand on or twist what you were considering before. You know, not everything is so philosophical. One of the I think maybe one of the my favorite adaptations of all time is Gone Girl, which isn't there's no real like ethical quandaries of Gone Girl. It's like, no, you're just here to watch a <laughs> I mean, there are definitely you can get into it, but yes. like you can also just sit and watch it because it's a wild movie. And that's a that's one that there are like, you know, there's some changes, but ultimately it's just a really good book that is paced really well, but it's also a phenomenal movie that is directed incredibly mm-hmm. like tight and acted. I mean, just the acting of that movie is kind of otherworldly in some sense. Well, I feel um, like your mention of Arrival begs the question too, and this isn't a slam on the author of Arrival because I know he's successful. He's more like critically loved than commercially successful, but it also probably helps that that movie didn't have the baggage of name recognition. Like when Arrival came out, I don't I don't think, maybe this is a wrong assumption, but I don't think most people seeing the trailer for that were like, oh, that's an adaptation of this short story by this author because it just didn't. He was successful oh, no. in his own right, but like not coming to this screen, which I think is such an interesting part of adaptations is like, you're going to either succeed or fail in everyone's eyes based on their own, what they're bringing to this viewing experience. And so sometimes like another one that I think is a really good example of a recent adaptation is that maybe is based on a slightly more successful piece of fiction is passing the Nella Larson short novel that was adapted by Rebecca Hall. You never read passing. It's a story about two women in like the Harlem Renaissance era that one, they grew up together, I believe, and they're both biracial um, and, or at least one of them can very clearly pass as a white woman and the other one can sometimes, but does chooses not to. But one of them chooses to pass as a white woman, goes, marries a white man and like starts a whole new life where she lives a life as a white woman and her friend doesn't and lives her life as a black woman and they kind of bump into each other and it opens up a whole kind of years later opens up a whole kind of discussion about identity and there was a recent you have to watch it it's on netflix we'll say one of the things recently that netflix has did really well it was adapted by rebecca hall who's an actress in in the industry who Mm -hmm. discovered i think in her like late in her 30s or something like her own family history of a grandparent who past and she had no idea like that that was in her family history so she came to this mm-hmm. adaptation with like a, a own like her going back to like the idea of like having a reason like clearly the source material in like brought up something that she wanted to explore and it does it so well it's in black and white which is just such a genius idea and it's beautifully mm-hmm. filmed it's shot on like square format and it's 
it's just one of the most visually beautiful, but also such a well-acted. Tessa Thompson is one of the main actresses in it and just does an incredible job. It just got absolutely like no recognition the year it came out. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm going to have to check this one out. I completely fall under the radar for me. I had, I had no idea this, this existed. It did for a lot of people. Got like no, like no major awards recognition. It's incredibly re- adapted, incredibly directed, acted, visually incredible. And it does such a good job adapting the story that at the same time, like does its own thing. Like it doesn't betray the, the source material, but it, it also, mm. it's just, it uses the medium that it's in to look at this story in a new way, but still honors the original. And it's just like, I feel like Arrival sounds like it does that too. Like it doesn't do it, a, you know, word for word, but it, the heart, the heart of the story is like, you know, the idea of human existence and questioning things and science. And I'm sure it's probably similar in some degree. So I feel like films that don't come with this baggage of both being really successful before they're adapted and also maybe the where the director <laughs> or writer or whoever's choosing to adapt it is coming from like with a point of view that's not just like oh well, this is going to be an easy paycheck like it brings something to it which i guess you could argue for all art is like gonna hopefully translate into something better than just yeah like the new hunger games book or movie or whatever. Like I like the original Hunger Games trilogy well yeah. enough. I think they're incre- I actually think they're really well written books, the first trilogy. And like they have something to say and they tell a good story. And I think some of those movies are really, really well made. They kind of peter off at the end, in my opinion. But the new one, I just yeah. That's where I'll I'll take my cancelable uh, opinion here. I absolutely fucking hate the Hunger Games movies. I think they are so poorly done. The whole like the whole filming style of them is just a nightmare for me. I can't handle those movies. Um, the first one is bad. Yeah, the, the first one is bad. Was it just, gets better, but yeah, the first one I remember seeing in theaters and yeah. walking out a little nauseous because it's a lot of shaky cam. <laughs> but the second one I think is one of the better adaptations in terms of capturing the essence of a story and also just being an entertaining like almost standalone film on its own. Speaking of adaptations that we're mm. not a fan of. I'm curious if you have one adaptation that just like sticks out in your mind as just like an all time hate. Like, is there is there a movie? If you want me to go first, while you think about it, I can't. I know I thought um, about this before. The ones that I hated like aren't based on things I loved anyway. Like, I'm okay not liking mm-hmm. the films because I didn't necessarily like have a huge passion for. I feel like, and maybe I keep just not remembering one. But I'm pretty lucky in the sense that things I'm really excited or interested in adaptations of have either been okay or good. Like, I don't think, like, the only ones I can think of that I genuinely didn't like were, like, Divergent, speaking of other, like, dystopians. But, again, like, Mm -hmm. the source material, when I read it at the time, I thought was fine. But, like, I don't have any sort of attachment to it. I've also thought that, ironically, Kenneth Branagh's adaptations of Agatha Christie's books, um, he's done... The Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. And the horrible Nile. films, in my opinion. Just mm-hmm. not good. <laughs> they are they are the most just um uh popcorny bad movies. Yeah, they're just they're like, the ones you see with your grandparents at uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. Like they're 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 they're, they're very like, palatable guess, films. They're just not good. The acting is the worst part of it, which is crazy because he gets these insane casts. Like he just gets everyone in their mother to be in it, and, <laughs> and then it's, somehow it's terrible. But I'm not particularly attached. I feel like it's a shame because they could be really fun whodunits in the style of like, like Knives Out or like those movies. 
but they just flop mm-hmm. and I can't, I don't know. They feel like passion projects for him because so he wants flat. to be Poirot and also direct and write them, but they're just, they're just, yeah. I don't know how he makes such an easy to adapt thing, which is a great, already intelligent mystery written by one of the most successful writers in the yeah. history of literature. And has like a huge movie basis, like the whodunits, like that's a whole genre of film. And they're just bland. They're just vanilla. I think they have no purpose. That's why. They just don't have anything interesting to say other than literally adapting the story. And they fall flat. That's the only... I did recently watch the new Persuasion adaptation on, again, Netflix. Oh, yeah. Which I have not read that, Jane Austen, so I can't come from a perspective of adaptations. I did hear enough through Book Talk and Bookstagram of people who do love Jane Austen and that particular book. I just found it so tonally confusing. Like, it felt like a, they should have done it like Clueless or something. They should have done it as a modern adaptation because, first of all, Dakota Johnson, who I love, and I think she's a great actress when she has the right role, she has the face, I've seen this around, that knows what an iPhone is. Have you seen that that meme? Like, that person knows what an iPhone <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. did not look like yeah. the time period, which I don't care if you kind of mess with things and go creatively, but the rest of the movie was not like that. So it just didn't fit. Like, she talked, to the, she did the whole flea bag, like, talk to the camera thing. And it just was such a mess that I was like, this cannot be a good adaptation. I've not read the book, but I know that this was not a good ad- adaptation of it. I think Persuasion, the Netflix movie, was definitely had a huge successful pitch meeting because they threw out literally every like little thing they wanted to do, you know, the flea bag camera talking to camera and it also just kind of irreverent, you know, yes. like girl that doesn't care movie. And you're like, Oh yeah, they have all of these selling points and then just made a movie that isn't even one that I can hate. It's just a movie that I don't really care about. Like, exactly. I, it, like ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't even good for like the online discussions because it just it was kind of a void of of nothingness and that was really sad to me i the, my my least favorite adaptation probably of all time is based on my favorite book from high school was the lovely bones which does get the villain character very correct with the casting of stanley tucci which was really brilliant and it was directed by uh, peter jackson which is a wild thing and then the movie is just like kind of a bunch of nonsense, which is really frustrating because I think the the book is really, really beautiful. And I know there's a ton of new controversies yeah. surrounding the author, but it's one of those things that like I think maybe some things are left better, like not adapted in some ways. But I think, like we said earlier, there's so many things that we wish could be adapted. I'm I'm curious if you have anything that like has stood out to you as like something you would really love to be adapted at some point and I don't off the top of my head because I, like I said, I don't think in terms of like, if I love something a lot, I don't, I almost don't want them. Like you said, I'd rather them leave it alone. I'm happy for a book Mm. to just exist in my own head. I don't need an adaptation. The books that I'm like excited about their adaptations are probably ones that I thought were fine or I could see the potential or I've just never read, but I don't have a desire to. So that it's not, it's not that I can't separate the experiences. Cause like I've said, Station 11, I read that book 10 years ago or whatever and loved it and not 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, whenever it came out and loved it many years ago and was excited about the adaptation because I could see the potential and was able to separate like this isn't doing its own thing. And because it did it confidently and well, but in terms of things I want to, I actually just looked at my shelves over there and then forgot we haven't talked about the Neapolitan novel adaptations, which I can't end this episode or finish this without having mentioned because you know my love 
Is this maybe this is the point where you convinced me to watch? Have you them, finished? I you read the whole them. series, right? You got me to read those books. It's the best. I was obsessed with them. They are my favorite book series of all time. I think I can say confidently that it is probably one of the 21st century's masterpieces. Like it will be remembered. I'm yeah. confident that in ye- hundreds of years, maybe from now, or maybe at least a hundred years from now, it'll still be read and discussed and analyzed and looked to as something like really well made. Those shows are one of the best adaptations of something I've ever seen. Yes. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to check them out. One of the things that I kind of in the same vein, uh, which I would call um, lightly and not so lightly communist uh, fiction, which is my brilliant friend certainly, you know, kind of fits that. Um, But the Sally Rooney normal people. Yes, that's a great one too. I was obsessed with, which I think that's, that's the perfect way to do a limited series because it's completely unnecessary to do a limited series with that one because you you easily could have done a two-hour movie it's so character driven that you actually do need it wouldn't the, have hit the time all of the... yeah actually exactly. i agree i think that i really like sally rooney i'm not like a diehard sally rooney fan but i do like her books and i think she has something interesting and in, I, I as long as she keeps exploring it and like going deeper i think she could easily get in like a rut where she becomes a caricature of herself in a way but i think her first couple mm-hmm. her first two novels i really enjoy and i think have something really fresh and exciting and i feel like actually watching that adaptation during covid like made me appreciate her book more in a way because i was like oh yeah this this really plumbed the depths of like what she was trying to do and then like not elevated it it wasn't already good but just it brought me like a new perspective on it which i feel like is what a good adaptation should do it's not yes it it was faithful to it but it, it showed something else that i hadn't maybe picked up on on the first reading and i was like that was really well made and i think it made me more excited but then I heard the conversations with friends. I never watched it, but I heard it was horrible. So it just depends on who's involved or not good at all. I don't think it was horrible. It it yeah. had none of the magic that normal people did. You know, it was it was kind of hollow in some sense. Casting, they got they got lightning in a bottle with uh, the two actors and normal people like that. They've launched careers that yeah. no one would know that. That's like one of those once in a lifetime things. But those are that's a really good adaptation. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more like short story or like interwoven mm. like stories into um miniseries or tv shows because i think there's so much potential to do like like how black mirror sometimes does that where it's like you watch the individuals but there's some crossover and yeah. like a visit from the goon squad by jennifer egan i feel like there's been um someone what's the word like acquired the rights to that so many years ago and it just never has gone anywhere and i feel like there's so much potential like That's daisy jones and the six is having that moment of like rock star personas and just like really like period piece shows that like regardless of how you feel about them like have an attraction that i feel like a visit from the goon squad would be a really great miniseries i wish i could have a hot take on daisy jones and the six but the 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 book is terrible and the the tv show is just so boring like just completely (laughs) underwhelming in every way but I felt the same way about the book. I th- there was nothing about it that really held my attention. I would love actually a kind of anthology. Uh, I, maybe this is like a horrible pitch because I, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have a movie background and stuff. But I would love like an anthology series of like what we call kind of the pop romance books, oh, like yeah. the cartoon cover romance books. I would love like an hour and ten minute like mini movies you know, bring back kind of like the Hallmark feel, but like actually produce them well and get like good script writers. But like if we had like Emily Henry 
adapted into like you know kind of low to mid-tier budget stuff and put it in like an anthology or something i think like something like that could just be a really fun watching experience because every single one of her books is option or like in production right now to be a movie every single all four i should say all four of her adult romance novels are currently either well into production and have like director's scripts and casts assigned to them or like have been optioned and i feel like if anything and i'm not an experienced romance reader or anything like that but i feel like hers could even warrant having four to five episodes per book because she actually dives into way more than just the main romance. And there's a lot more like character development that could like contribute to that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like those will be fingers crossed as long as if they're anything like the source or inspiration, she's very inspired by like Nora Ephron and like Nancy Myers films. So if they even capture a little mm-hmm. bit of that, you know, when Harry met Sally sleepless in Seattle vibe, like in terms of their like timelessness, yeah. then I think they'll have something great there. But I, I don't watch a lot of those adaptations, but um, or or romantic comedies much. But if you know the last few years have indicated, I feel like we can't seem to recapture that like nineteen nineties like prime rom com era as as well. There's a couple here and there, <laughs> yeah, but generally me. not not so great. Yeah, because this is a nonfiction book <laughs> podcast. Um, I do have to feel I this is my this is my sales pitch that I have been like crafting in my mind for a while and uh it's my it's my one and only billion dollar idea other than you know violently um deposing billionaires and just taking their money aside from that billion dollar idea i think i i want a new streaming service that is geared towards adaptations of nonfiction books because a lot of them don't fit like the the need for a narrative film you know we had uh, how to blow up a pipeline which mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw which actually did turn into like a decently good movie. I heard good things about it, but haven't seen it. And it's not it's not a narrative story. It is a it's a theory book that talks about, you know, the different arguments about climate uh, um activism and destruction, but created into a basically like new age heist movie that was like I said, it was enjoyable. It was not a perfect film, but it was definitely worth the watch for me. And I think we need a kind of streaming service or something in which we can have like mini series for nonfiction books. And, you know, they don't have to be big Hollywood names, but if we had just like devoted even like YouTube series or something, because so many of the books that I read lend themselves so much to like really good storytelling, but not storytelling that makes sense in the movie and TV show, like ways that we have now. And I don't think simply making documentary after documentary about the niche history things that I like. I mean, I think there's so many creative ways to go about that. So here's my pitch to Hollywood. If, if any of them are, if, if Mr. Hollywood is listening to this podcast, it's uh, we need a new streaming service for nonfiction books. I, you can hire me on and I will give you the stories that I think should be adaption. And because I think when it comes to true crime, it's very obvious that you can make a six part true crime series and it's going to sell yeah. to literally anyone. Like, if you just tell them like, "Hey, there's this murder story," they're like, "We bought it already." Like, I don't know, we like we have we have filmed four episodes, and it's like, okay, like maybe not just true crime because I think there's so many stories about financial crimes or grifters or uh, the CIA or FBI just like committing crimes across the decades. There's so many things that I think people would really love. And reading those types of books can be like a daunting experience. I think that's one of the things that people don't pick up so much nonfiction just because it is intimidating in some sense. And I wish we had an easy way to access 
the movie medium because I that's something I've been always jealous of fiction for getting is like fiction books. You know, if you write a decently good fiction book, like the movie options are typically bought. Uh, doesn't mean sure. like a movie is made from those. Like, but like if it's genuinely a success, they always purchase those, and that just doesn't happen all the time with nonfiction. Where I think it could. I think we could get a lot of really cool memoirs turned into movies or TV shows or limited series. But I think the same is true with like history books and certainly science. I think you could get some really creative docu series out of you know, like why fish can't exist, I think would be like a perfect story to bring into like a really unique form of story, like a unique form of like a short form. When you think of nonfiction adaptations that you'd like, though, are you thinking of a not a fictional, but like an acted scripted adaptation of it? Like, like how wild by Cheryl Strayed was adapted into a film? Or are you talking about Mm -hmm. a docu-series that explores similar topics, like a book, someone who writes a book about a certain topic, then getting the chance to kind of continue that exploration in like a a documentary or a docu-series or something. Because I feel like there's been a fairly good amount, especially in the last year or two on, and that's where Netflix, Netflix has done this. They've taken memoirs. They did made, they did Mm -hmm. from scratch. They've taken these memoirs and then they've turned them into like fictional or scripted films or series where it's acted it's not like a documentary series but i was trying to think like they and hulu just did this with the other cheryl strade adaptation tiny beautiful things which is such a weird book to adapt because it's like it's like article like um what's the word she like writes advice columns it's an advice column that she wrote but they've somehow Mm. i think they really went far with like adapting it in terms of like just the idea of it not not like a direct adaptation but i'm curious if you can think of or have had experience with besides like the pipeline one like any more i guess non-narrative non-fiction because you read more of that than i do like if i'm going to read non-fiction it's usually either a memoir of some sort so it still feels like a story Mm -hmm. rather than just like a topical exploration of something have you have there been or have you can you think of like non-fiction narrative fiction being turned into uh, any sort of visual medium no i i i probably could if i really I think like how to blow up a pipeline is one of like the newest ones that's been turned into that's been turned into narrative, but there are other things that have gotten, I think like short form documentary series made from them. Uh, Some of the true crime stuff that I have read have been, you know, used as not just the only basis, but like Mm. the research for a doc or like a true crime docu series. I think though, there could be a lot more like within that genre. And I'm going (laughs) to, I'll conclude the podcast with, Three nonfiction books that I absolutely think could make really brilliant non-narrative things. I think any of the books of Mary Roach, which is she is a comedy science writer, uh, you could make those into incredibly fun uh, docu-series like for each book that combines some elements of animation, but also some elements of journalistic interview with experts. I think any of those would fit into like a very perfect perfect way to do that i also think the story of chaos uh which was one of my favorite books of last year which is about charles manson the cia and the 60s would fit a perfect like 10 hour docu series length because the book is like 550 pages and it's just an incredibly Mm. wild ride that would be tonally so similar to the true crime stuff that we get but take a different approach that it's not about simply murder it's about like the underbelly of society and the underbelly of specifically the government which i don't think gets touched on enough 
I think kind of a call to action documentary with something like Life on the Rocks or any kind of like animal biology, slightly blended memoirs, where it could just be kind of about these things. I think most people actually do love documentaries. I think that's like one of the most under like appreciated forms of viewing experience and uh, something like Spineless or Soul of an Octopus would create like genuinely really beautiful ways to tell a story that is important about climate change, about animal rights. And I think we need a lot more of those. I think the problem is just creatively, there's just not budgets out there for things like these, but we absolutely need more things like this. So Max, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, We might just have to bring you back. Uh, Maybe we won't even read a book. Maybe we'll just do like a movie and TV show deep dive onto like certain adaptations at some point. But thank you so much for coming. Um, What are your socials so people can find you online? I'm pretty much well done books. That's D-O-N-E. Well done books pretty much everywhere. Mostly Instagram, TikTok. So you can find me there. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. The audio for this podcast is edited by Tone Support. For podcast services, visit tone.support. And this podcast is also supported by my patrons on Patreon. A special thanks to Marilyn, Aaliyah, and Emily for their support. If you want to get in touch about this podcast or ask me questions, hit me up at schizophrenicreads at gmail.com. And if you can, support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash schizoreads. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next time. (music) 